0: I had a client send me photos once that I was looking through, and it was all applicable to what I asked him for. And then at the end,
1: it got no fun times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. That's pr- I'm so glad I hit record those fifteen <laughs> seconds <laughs> ago.
2: <laughs> As the torcedores quietly rolled their cigars and the despaliadoras stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves. They were entertained, informed, and inspired by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast, stories and cigars from the exiled South. This is the Elector Podcast. Welcome. Uh, We're already having a good time. Um, What do we usually say? Oh, yes. Um, We're glad you guys are here with us today and you decided to listen to us. Please subscribe to our podcast if you like what you hear and uh, tell your friends about it. I've never said that. That's the first time. I think you've said that a few times. I've never said that. No, you nailed it. But uh, anyway, we're here today uh, just chilling at uh, another undisclosed location in south florida right and we're kicking back and having a good time tonight we're going to today well tonight we're going to tell some on my a couple miami stories i guess we have a friend with us today omar uh welcome omar thank you thank you for having me glad you're here um we're we're still currently checking levels so we're lounging and kind of smoking cigars and and having some uh imbibing on some stuff so we may lean back and relax and Mark may have to like check his levels yeah we're good and um but you know we're just we're just kind of relaxing here and I'm smoking a cigar that Mark gave to me called the Intemperance cigar Mark what tell me about the cigar because it's awesome
1: so uh Roma Craft is one of my favorite tobacconists I don't know what the word is and they they're good at branding which speaks to me and so they have romacraft is a company intemperance is like one of their lines they have a line called cro-magnon um they used to do Wonderlust, but in the intemperance cigars uh each blend and and say size and shape is named after like a vice or a virtue kind of thing right and so we are smoking the intemperance ba21 breach of peace Wow. So the breach of peace. It's uh, I'll read the description here. It's a full-bodied robusto that sports a dark Brazilian Maduro wrapper placed over an Indonesian binder that contains long filler tobaccos from Nicaragua. I don't think I've ever read a cigar description.
2: I can taste the Indonesian. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> we'll, we'll expound. Shut that up, bit Victor. A bit later. <laughs>
3: So, his name was Binder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, so tonight it's it's me, Mark. I'm here with Marcos and Victor's here, and we're, uh, we're pouring out for Matt. He he's on vacation this week, and we're joined tonight by a good friend, Mr. Omar Cartaya, and um, he's going to be sharing his story with us tonight.
2: Well, do we give last names? I don't know. We just did. Well, we did. It's out <laughs> I mean, already. George Mulian. We've I mean, episodes about That's it. true, yeah. yeah. We we've, we've, we always let it slip, but I guess somebody wants to find a signal. Yeah. Well, it's
0: hard enough for me to stay under it. the radar, as it is, and oh, well, that's it. I'm out now. <laughs> Being a man of your stature, I mean,
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> Wait, someone else is here with us, but he's going to be silent, I guess, for a little bit. <laughs> we have a guest in the room. We do
1: have a guest. Uh, Robert. Uh, another Miamian native Miami and mm-hmm. to us by way of New York for a few years. Mr Joseph Robert Hickson the Fourth. Right. Not just and full name, but title.
0: Right. Professional <laughs> numeral Joseph professional Robert line. Hickson so
2: the We always like to acknowledge our guests that are kind of sitting in to smoke a good stogie and have a drink. So
1: Robbie is off mic tonight, but we'll pass him a mic shortly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll have good jokes. <laughs> <Not cleanless. laughs> well so, so tonight, we're we're low key. We're just enjoying ourselves. And Omar, uh, the reason we wanted to interview you is I was I was sharing a little bit before we started hitting record, before I hit record, um, and and I've I've kind of talked about you to some of my friends here for a while, but I, you have one of the most uh, storied, uh, professional. Uh, CVs, right? And so, what I was hoping you could kind of uh, start us off with is, is some of the jobs you've held in the last few years, or in, you know, over over the last however many years.
0: Well, sure, I'd love to share. I mean, that's the first time I've ever heard of my life described that way as having an uh, uh, interesting CV. But um, it just it comes from uh, having a particular kind of family and mix of people that make up my family that kind of allowed for me to do different things with my life. There wasn't really one particular um, career that the family had. There wasn't any real expectation of what to do. Most of the family members, my uncles, uh, were all entrepreneurs doing their their own thing. Um, One uncle uh, was in um, Bolt Wholesale. Bolt and Fastener Wholesale. My father was in sprinklers, installing sprinkler systems through Miami and Construction, and then he got into the scuba diving uh, industry. Did very well there, uh, and that just opened up a whole uh, realm of experience for me when it comes to what I was doing
2: with my life and what my options were. Um, so uh, Omar, just so that's all in Miami. Yeah, this is all family from Miami. What's your what's your he, uh, what's your background? What's well, I'm, I'm what you would call a
0: Canuban. A Canuban. Yeah. Explain um, that, please. My mom is from uh, Quebec, Canada. Mm-hmm. And she's a French-Canadian. And in 1961, her and her family moved to South Florida uh, for a job, I believe, for my grandfather's job, and went to Miami-Edison High School. And right mm-hmm. around the same time, uh, my father was uh, came to... Uh, uh, the united states from cuba with uh, my grandma uh, rest in peace i miss her uh, and he also attended uh miami edison high school uh, and they met and i guess at some point there i don't have all the details and it's been uh, a good product i guess it's come out of that 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 venture uh, so that's what I mean by Canuban, so half Canadian, half Cuban. Got it. But I did. I grew up in Miami. I don't, you know, I, I'm basically uh, a Miami guy, American, grew up here. I had to learn Spanish at a later time. I, I grew up speaking English. Uh, mm. I did a little bit of French with my mom, but it was, it was always English. So uh, I had to learn Spanish afterwards uh, once, uh, once I got a little older and I needed to use it for, for job or just for communication.
2: So Miami's a big city and people kind of forget that sometimes. It's it's kind of a large it's a big co- it's a county, Miami-Dade County. Mm-hmm. What without, you know, being specific, what what kind of uh, area did you grow up in which one?
0: I grew up in Westchester. Westchester. Yeah,
2: which right. is uh a Mighty Westchester. Mighty Westchester.
0: And I went to Coral Park Elementary um, and then from there went to um, um, Cypress Elementary. Because I didn't get along with some of my teachers over at Coral Park, <laughs> and I was a problem child. I was a little bit of a problem child, weren't we all? Yeah, and then eventually ended up at one of the most Cuban schools, in all the Miami Belen Jesuit prep.
2: Belen. wow, yeah. so Ooh. go Wolverines. Yeah, that's where. By the way, that's where Fidel Castro went too. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, yeah.
1: Is that,
0: is that so? A joke? We is have that some reads? questions.
2: No, for no, you. he did, and I think
0: <laughs> he also was at La Salle.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I yep. think beforehand. I think
0: maybe
3: he's also rumored to be the father of <laughs> the Canadian Prime Minister, uh, Gerard Depardieu. I think I'm pretty name. sure that <laughs> wow. he is. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that is his name. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Canadian Prime Minister is Gerard yeah. Depardieu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he doubled as uh, as an actor.
3: Yeah, beautiful movies. My yeah, Father, yeah. the <laughs> Hero, was my <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> favorite one. Cyrano
2: yeah.
3: mm-hmm. so so you know, the Bergerac Yeah, Cyrano.
2: That's right. Yeah, I'm partial to the Musketeers, though. Fabulous. <laughs>
1: but trying uh, hard not to bring us back to earlier when you said you would do French with your mom <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah you know I have, to, I have to put this out there you know this is like the first time I do anything like this uh, recorded on a, on a microphone in front of uh, people so there may be some things that I say that aren't exactly the way they're supposed to come No, out, I just I just wanted either
1: good. no one else heard you but thank you, or that was the most incredible ex- no, no, exhibition it's it's of restraint
2: I've ever seen in my life <laughs> <laughs> it's,
3: very, it's very European of you I'm hearing
2: I'm hearing the plane and Pink Floyd the wall Yeah. <laughs> the show <laughs>
0: But no, I mean it's uh, you know growing up in the city and and mm-hmm. like I said having the the opportunities that I had and and um, and just you know options and things to do um, you know being my father having the the businesses you know I worked summers doing sprinklers before we were doing the the mm-hmm. scuba diving stuff <clears throat> learn how to do that learn how to work hard learn how to use a, a shovel pick you know work in the dirt. So I was never sheltered from any kind of hard work, even in the sun, and, and it's just it's paid off in spades. And then getting into you know later on when we started doing the dive charter business, that took off. We had a, three stores at one point. Oh. Um, we had Tabernier, Key Biscayne, Miller Square. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was quite a quite an operation for a while, and then. Um, Key Biscayne ended up being like the the center of it. So Divers Paradise of Key Biscayne.
2: I remember was Divers Paradise. It? Yeah. Wow. That was your that was your dad. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cool. Just
0: recently sold it actually right before everything kind of hit the mm. the, the fan with COVID. Um, but yeah, that that kind of uh, I was set up to basically not be afraid of of trying to do something else and and, and getting my hands dirty, so to speak. You know. Um, so from there. You know, my dad was always like, look, you you want to do this? Fine. My mom's like, if you don't want to work at the dive show, you don't have to. There was always that that feeling that, you know, you you, you can do your own thing. You're your own man. Whatever you need to do, you do. Um, and then from there, I I taught over a 1,000 uh, people how to scuba dive wow. as a scuba instructor. Yeah. Um, I tried to get my captain's license, but... It didn't work out. I won't go into it. I'm colorblind. Somehow I passed the test, the colorblind uh, test for the captains, but then I let the paperwork just kind of go, go by, and my dad was angry, but whatever. Yeah, didn't have to drive the boat. But um, yeah, from there, it it was great. I mean, I did that, and I actually came back to it after I got into what I always wanted to do because my mom is an amazing cook. I mean, she can make anything. I mean, she, you tell her a region and she can come up with a recipe and make something fantastic. So, I had that bred into me too. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to try giving the restaurant industry a, a shot. Um, and I just dove in. I dove into um, a high-end restaurant by the name of La Broche, which is a Spanish concept out of out of Madrid. Uh, sh- uh, chef Sergio Rolla was the chef in, in, in Spain. And his pastry chef, Angel Palacios, was sent to South Florida to open up this this branch. And I got involved with him, and I did that for about two years. And it, the concept really didn't work, but it was the hardest work I've ever done.
1: So those all, all of the things we've heard are true. Like the kitchen really is like the hardest place. And oh yeah, Anthony yeah. Bourdain tells it well accurately
0: i think anthony bourdain went through sort of a whole other initiation into the kitchen because you know he kind of from from my understanding of his history he he got into it at sort of a dishwasher level and worked his way up and the kitchens in new york when you start there you know you're you're a cook and you're you're basically battling every day and trying not to get killed Because there's people that don't care about you that are running around with 500 degree pans and things are flashing up around you. And when you first walk into that environment, it's like a war zone. So in order to have the fortitude for somebody at a young age to go in there and stick that out and eventually get to where he did is just incredible. In my case, I didn't get into that level. I mean, I did a little bit. I worked at Checkers for like a summer. Flipping Burgers. But that was it. Yeah. But La Roche was a very, very structured, high-end, <coughs> high-skill-level uh, uh, kitchen that I really had to grab onto it with two hands and just try with everything i had to, to make it because there were days where i was like okay this is not for me you know mm. this is not for me i can't do this or whatever and then unfortunately i had great people around me and that's the best group of people i ever had around me in the industry mm. uh they were just very very hard on you because they wanted you to do and be the best that, that you could was this in miami would, it was in in miami but it was a uh, brickle key
2: <coughs> okay and this oh, is wow. uh
0: 2000 2001 yeah um, but yeah, the concept didn't work out, uh, the, the uh, owners uh, pulled, some, pulled the money out. We were actually uh, um, going to do the James Beard dinner in 2001. Which usually means when you do the James Beard dinner, that the next year you're probably going to be one of the nominees for the award.
2: Wow.
0: But yeah. the word got out that we we're having financial difficulties or whatever, so then that invitation to do the dinner mm-hmm. was sort of pulled away or whatever. Got to do a bunch of things with, with them. We, I went to do the uh, food and wine show in Aspen with, with Chef Angel Palacios. He took me. Wow. Out of everybody that he could have taken in the kitchen, he took me, the guy that hadn't been working in a kitchen like that in his life. And I literally had, I had six months of experience in that kitchen when he decided to take me to Aspen, which was just unbelievable, man. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but that place is just unbelievably just, you know, picturesque. And it's almost it's almost not real, you know. Mm. And and to go there and be in you know rubbing elbows with all of my heroes, uh, chefs, you know, Jacques Pepin walking by, wow. no way. Gordon Ramsay, everybody yeah. asking about what we were doing because every because what we were doing at the time nobody was really doing. Mm. And we had a, a deconstructed paella, where it was basically a what you call a suquet, which is like a, a seafood. Uh, reduction like a broth which is made mostly with uh, langoustine heads so it's almost like a fortified shrimp broth and then we had um, puffed rice that we made in house where we took rice uh, infused it with saffron and all the spices that we wanted cooked it most of the way through and then dried it out on pans for a day or two in a dehydrator and then when you fry them they puff up like rice krispies (laughs) So everybody thought we had like brought a box of Rice Krispies <laughs> and we're throwing it on the thing, and we thought we were. But
1: it was like it. paella, like saffron infused, like yeah. Rice Krispie kind of.
0: Thing. I you you would eat it, and it was like having a the, one of the most flavorful paellas you've ever had. Wow! Because all of the notes were there. It's just the, all of the textures were turned upside down on you.
2: So this is but, Angel Palacios that's yes. doing this. Yeah. So he's a pastry chef, but he's a that's right. a specialty, but he all around chef, pastry chef, stellar. Yeah. Okay, executive chef.
0: Almost as stellar, wow! Because unlike unlike um, in the United States, where you get into into the kitchens here, you're, you're brought in at a level and they show you. Okay, you wash your pan, you do, you know you, you you fry French fries or whatever. Okay, and everybody wants to get paid for being there. <coughs> okay, so they give you the minimum wage. In Spain, you do stages where you 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 go to the chef you want to work for or learn from. And you work for free for a season. Wow. Okay. And they don't care who you are if you're sh- not getting paid or whatever. If you're not pulling your weight, you're gonna you're gonna fall right off of the off the ship. They're not they're not gonna even think twice about letting you go. So those guys that came from Spain and there was four friends. It was Angel, Frank, uh, Sergio, who's now with Pub Belly Group, and um, Frank Areas. and he's now he has a place in Barcelona. And they were all, I'm talking about, polished, polished chefs. And they were just there to try to make that concept that was in Spain, uh, that was so popular at the time, which is Sergio Arola's place, work here. And it was just early. It was just too early.
1: Was that place La, La Buya? No. That, that's El Buya. That's El, El, El Buya, that's El what El Is that yeah, the name well. of that restaurant, or no? No, no. Because that it, place, uh, forgive me, I learned this all from Anthony Bourdain's TV show, mm-hmm. but it was like it's like one of the episodes they go for like it's their they're closing That restaurant is closing mm-hmm. and, but their big thing was like the deconstructing right. dishes and gastronaut gastron- he was
0: a pioneer and, yeah. there, there was a few others <coughs> um Arsac he's at, uh he, him and his daughter did uh, something similar in San Sebastian San Sebastian yeah. exactly uh and then the brothers um from El Bulli just took it from the kitchen to the to the laboratory. So they broke down all the processes which have to do with how certain ingredients convert from one thing to another during a cooking process, where they are in between, and how you can manipulate them at any point in that process. And it's, it's literally a chemical breakdown of each ingredient. So they, they basically went into a cave, figured out all these things. They took, I guess, simple products at the beginning, and said, okay, how can we make a carrot into air? Mm-hmm. How can we make something that that tastes like a carrot but has none of the physical attributes of a carrot? Oh. You know, how do, how do we do, uh, one, of, one of my favorite dishes at, at La Broche was this Caesar salad. And it was iceberg lettuce that was frozen. Uh, grated with gelatin to make like a frappe of lettuce. It had a um, a foam of of Parmesan cheese, and then it had these these wonderful crispy pieces of of uh, a pancetta and stuff like that. That's something that you wouldn't necessarily think. And then also uh, fresh sardines. <laughs> and the stuff, I mean, it was it was mm-hmm. just a very small plate, but you only needed like two bites. And you two bites you would have all of that flavor and very, very it's refreshing. Explosion. Yeah. Very yeah. everything. So they're they were super in tune to the whole experience about how how something was consumed from from that point. So
2: that seems to be something again, I'm taking all my cues from Anthony Bourdain, rest in peace. Yeah. But he's a real know, hero of our podcast. Yeah, seriously. He but but uh, he he kind of brought on the scene. Him and Mario and uh, Mario Batali, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brought put Spain on the scene as far as a food scene, and and that's that seems to be a trend with with what I've heard, uh, thanks to these guys, <coughs> about food from Spain, where it was all about these these particular getting these extracting these particular flavors in very unique ways. Like you said, mm-hmm. you mentioned the, uh, 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 the 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 Parmesan. Uh, what did you call it? The like a like a foam almost like a a, a foam. You can yeah, do, yeah. I mean that's 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 insane. I mean, and you you were learning all this from Palacios. Yeah, it was.
0: And oh. the only thing that I really knew about food were the actual ingredients. Because, you know, growing up in, with my mom is, she had a very very wide. Uh, idea about food, so she she really understood food in the whole, and basically her her basics were really really good. But this takes you have to have your basics, but then if they just flip it over on you, because you you're taking these things that have a very very traditional flavor, right? Something that's been ingrained in a particular culture, like the paella. Yeah, and you're just taking it apart and putting it back together, and you're trying to mimic the same experience. But just, you know, somewhat different. The textures are different. All of the flavor points are there. So it's just something that I had never, ever, ever thought about before getting into it. And like I said, I went into that kitchen basically like, look, I'm here. Whatever you need me to do. You know, they gave me the entry-level pay. They're like, okay, you're going to work on garmanger, which is a cuarto frío, they call it in Spain, which is like cold appetizers and certain cold dishes and a couple other things. But it's very, very technical part of the kitchen. And like I said, it was the hardest thing I've had to do as far as getting to the point where... Towards the end of that year and a half that I was there, I was able to run that station by myself and set up the other stations with their sauces and everything. So I had actually picked up all that in a very very short period of time, which blew my mind because I thought I was leaving every day basically failing,
2: hmm. you know, because it was it was so hard. But well, he trusted you enough to take you to that yeah, festival. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and and believe it or not, the guy was a great friend of mine too um, because he was able to kind of um, switch. You know, when when we're in the restaurant, yeah, I'm gonna beat you up a little bit. I'm gonna tell you, you know, (laughs) busca la vida. (laughs) You know, go home. He sent me home a couple times and everything. But Mm. when it came down to it, at the end of the night. When it was time to clean up and we're all done, and I went to talk to the guy, he was he was the mentor, hmm. so that was it was it was a great. great so
2: thing. this restaurant was called La Broche. La Broche. La Broche. Okay, what years were this more or less?
0: This was 2000, 2001 Okay, I believe. Yeah.
2: What was what was uh, the food scene? Do you, do you do you feel like the like La Broche was kind of uh, way ahead of all other restaurants in Miami at the time, or
0: definitely? I think e- even now they would be avant-garde. I think yeah. as far as food, even now, and it's been. 20, what was it, 20 years? Mm. Yeah. Okay, so what was going on at the time, to give you some some context about the other types of food, is you had the Mango Kings, were, basically, which is uh, Norman Manakin, Alan Susser, and other chefs that were doing the mango salsas. Yeah. Okay? And the fire-roasted uh, bronzino with mango salsa and some sort of confit... I don't know like shallot you know Mm -hmm. very very you know avant-garde for the time but very very rustic compared to what we were doing on La Roche yeah I mean it was just a whole other whole that was more local you know kind of a cultural yeah yeah and then outside of outside of the United States what was going on was most likely where I got a lot of my inspiration in cooking was Thomas Keller I, I, I have his books. I, I still go to them for, for recipes. He's uh, the French Laundry, and okay. Per Se, and... Uh, I uh, think he I'm has strong. a
1: master class I've seen yeah. on my yeah. Facebook he's a little feed. slow.
0: But yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's good, though. But as far as uh, uh, a master, he's the master. Yeah? Yeah, he's the master. But there was... there was, I was taken out of that completely. I, I didn't have a chance to even experience any of that side of the kitchen. It was just completely straight into molecular gastronomy what they call it now which back then was called cocina autor which means author's kitchen whatever you want or whatever you or want chauffeur.
2: to do that's a great name yeah so was that something sp- uh, specifically spanish uh, cocina autor or was that something that other like like french uh, in france were they were they practicing that as well or it,
0: it was it was the spanish response to avant garde cooking okay uh, from france uh, French was ge- France was getting all of the attention for their, you know, attention to detail and their execution of of uh, technique and everything, and Spain was sort of left left behind in the culinary world because it was all very very rustic stuff. Which, thank God, because I love that part of Spain. Yeah. Um, but they were sort of left behind, and this was sort of like this this uh, Renaissance of of. Uh, of cuisine for spain Uh, and it took off for quite a bit and the one who carried the torch was uh ferran adria from from elbuy and and jorge adria his brother which were masters they were masters Mm. but uh, like i said i didn't the only people that i could really relate to at the time was angel palacios and then thomas keller which were kind of completely different but man what what a what a ride what a ride! So, what happened? Well, like I said, we we got to the point where we had a lot of recognition. We we're executing everything very well. We we're getting all of the right reviews, and then we started opening up for lunch because we we're running a little bit of short on some funds. And La Doña and the Don, the owner, were saying, "Look, I'm I can't keep, you know, putting this money into it. We need to somehow." Uh, supplement what, what we're putting in. And this is what I'm getting from, from Angel at the time, from my chef. And uh, from there, it kind of went sort of south. Uh, you know, people weren't getting paid on time and uh, leaving and threatening to leave. And these are great, the, like I said, the greatest group of chefs and people I've worked in kitchens before. Uh, and it just slowly just kind of faded away until one day we came in and he goes, Look, we're, we're closing. We're closing. Wow. Yeah. But we didn't we didn't go out that easy, man. We uh we closed down the the restaurant. We went through all of the all of the inventory and had a
1: bash. Yeah, I bet you cooked <laughs> some of the best stuff <laughs> oh, after man. that announcement.
0: Oh, and they and the wine cellar that they had and the spirit selection was top. Oh, notch, please man. tell us, tell us, mm-hmm. tell
2: us, tell us a little bit of what you partook of there.
0: Well, I, I I can't really remember.
2: <laughs> Understood. Back then.
0: Back then, Yeah, I mean obviously for, for other reasons, but you know, back then my knowledge of spirits and of ingredients and all the things that I was using was very limited. Yeah. So it was kind of like this 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 crazy like I just got saturated with all this stuff. So when we had the party, everybody said, "Okay, um, Omar, you're going to do appetizers. You know, Anke's going to do dessert, whatever. We all got one thing. We all created this, this dish for, for everybody. Meanwhile, they just keep bringing in glasses. <laughs> and scotch. And, you know, Macallans, you know, 22 or whatever that is. But it was a great night. I remember I made some sort of dish with, uh, with uh, calico, Swiss chard, and pancetta. And it was very, very simple, but it it was, it just, it's, everything was so good there that whatever we made was great. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a, it was a good time, man.
1: All right. So I know, I know you have kids. Um, uh, How realistic is Ratatouille minus the the rat cooking? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of a joke question. Yeah. you're welcome to answer that question. I guess my better question would be: Is there a dish for you that's like the dish they serve to Anton, the reviewer, at the end of Ratatouille, where it, you know, that it, it's a, it's that real visceral scene where he takes a bite and it just like snaps him back to childhood? Is there a, a dish for you like that? Because I I've had that experience and it blew my mind.
0: You you would probably think that I might have something like that, but as a kid, I was very picky about what I was eating. So my mom had a couple of go-to dishes that were great, that would bring me back. And this is going to be really weird. It's, it's basically canned asparagus sandwich. Hmm, hmm. Whoa. Okay? This is going to come back to yeah, me. Yeah, go on. All right? All right. It got Victor's attention. <laughs>
2: yeah. I was like, what?
0: It's basically you have, you have toast. You toast your bread. You put a little bit of mayo. You get the canned asparagus and you squash it all on your toast, and then you put black pepper and olive oil on it, and it's a sandwich.
2: You know, it's it, yeah, it's amazing. It's like it, it didn't mean anything to me until you said squash the asparagus. Yeah. Then it's like, oh wait a minute, because it already is squash anyway. Yeah, yeah Why it's it's super just for soft. Take it to its logical conclusion. Just all right. That's <laughs> the <laughs> homework,
0: okay? <laughs> that's the homework that's to, right. You're gonna gonna try that. Get yourself a nice bread, toast it up with a little bit of butter, drain the asparagus good. You know, get get the La Fleur if you can. The asparagus, the taller ones, and the bright chrome can. Best ones. And then just kind of line them up on the toast. Yeah, it, can't, smash be them.
2: Them. it can't be Dolmante's or something no, like that. No, no, <laughs> no, none of that.
0: Smash them and then season them with salt and black pepper. You know, nice uh, uh, coarse black pepper. And enjoy, man. Wow. It's fantastic. I, I mean, for me. And I even, for uh, a couple of amuse-bouche uh, at... Uh, a couple of the restaurants I worked at, I did something similar to that mm. for, for a little opening, opening, uh, that's crazy. Dish. Yeah. It's
2: just such a simple thing. Yeah. 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 It's like, if people ask me, what's your favorite, uh, like Cuban dish, it's always the oxtail. El rabo encendido. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always my favorite. And it's very simple. It's actually, and it's the tail of, uh, it's, 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 it's a cow's tail mm-hmm. and it's, it used to be really cheap, like you could go to the market and buy it for 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 cents for on the pound, and nowadays it's it runs like eight dollars a pound because it's a it's considered a delicacy now. And it's a it's the cheapest. It was just scrap meat at one point. Yeah, yeah, I love that dish, though. So. But that's Man, those are the things that take you back.
0: And I had all my share of of that kind of food growing up in Miami too. And my grandma was an amazing cook. I mean, amazing. She used to make rabo encendido, uh, arroz imperial. Uh, uh langota enchilado. I mean, her rice was oh, fantastic. You know, her congri was amazing with the chicharrones, and I mean, fantastic stuff.
2: Okay, so let me stop you there for a second. So, as as a chef, arroz um, imperial, is it Cuban? Is it Nicaraguan? What is it? Well, it's it's the Caribbean's competitive. Okay. When it comes can to can we describe the dish over? for the benefit of okay. people
1: who may not be familiar?
2: So basically, it's called imperial rice. Right. It, I'm
1: thinking. Thing. I'm picturing blue sky food by the pound. Right. Right. Exactly. Like a, what it is. Okay. okay in yeah. an aluminum yeah yeah
2: you know, the ubiquitous tray. aluminum yeah, like tray a roasting
1: pan right and it's right. got like a, a half inch mm-hmm. layer of white cheese on top right That's right
0: okay
3: yeah. all right it's got a bunch of mayonnaise in it too yeah a lot of mayo it's
0: it's basically you you stew a bunch of chicken you take all the meat off the bone right. And then you make yellow rice, okay? That simple yellow rice. It doesn't even have to have saffron. Behold, behold, which yeah. is like the Cuban saffron. <laughs> which all it does is make it yellow. <laughs> so whatever. We're acting, you know, acting rich. But then you take that rice, and you have it in your roasting pan. You put a layer of mayo, the layer of the chicken, another layer of mayo, and then. A, a layer of cheese on top, and you bake all of this together. So when you cut into it, you have that nice cross section of yeah. yellow rice and
2: chicken and mayonnaise and cheese, which is it's amazing, fantastic. now I yeah, had it's, it's
1: great. I did not mean to sound oh, no, uh, to denigrate no. denigrated. In no. fact, like, it, it's it really it's it's
2: actually great, and it's great for parties. Like if you have to serve a bunch of people, it's uh, that's what usually so, you you purchase it
1: So for. Matt Hedinger, you know our, our friend that's not here tonight, he. Uh, He was very instrumental in introducing me a lot to Miami, Mm -hmm. and we both worked at a church when I first moved here, and the joke was they would have a Wednesday night dinner, and he would kind of call, oh, it's rice from around the world, like, different rices every week. But but that's where I, I... was introduced to it. And it was so good. It was for sure the best one. It's so savory,
2: time. and it's easy to, and it's and it's simple. It's a simple dish. It's like the and the Puerto Ricans have a version because I had a Puerto Rican friend make this for us one time, and it was uh, arroz con gandules yeah. which is a pigeon peas, mm-hmm. right? Pigeon peas, yep. I think, and and rice, and it's also kind of yellow, right? The rice, and then and then they did. Uh, I think they did pork like like tender really tender pork and then a layer of uh plantains right. sweet plantains and then another layer of rice nice i only had that once in my life it was so good it was it was amazing but i know i know and and with arroz imperial it's always been a question for me like is that cuban or is that a miami thing and i cuz I, I my dad says he never had that in cuba uh, he had it here he loves it but it, but i think it was a miami thing i think it's a, something particular to miami that's what i think anyway
0: you know, I don't know, but I think I think there's probably certain dishes that were more prevalent in certain areas in Cuba. Depending on guess on what, what was what was more available. Yeah. Or what was a tradition or, you know, what what they were making. But I can't speak to whether or not it's Cuban or not, but my experience has been solely like Miami, you know, and i I grew up with it. Yeah. And a lot of the reasons why those kinds of dishes work is because if, if you were to see my grandmother's kitchen, it's basically the size of a bathroom, like in her house. She had one oven or whatever, so it was all in a, in a tray. Like, she yeah. had to feed, I don't know how many people, and it was a tray of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, but as far as where Arron Imperial comes from,
2: you know. I just think it's interesting, because Miami, it's like we take for granted a lot of stuff, and we say, oh, this is Cuban, this is Nicaragua, and this is Colombian, okay. or whatever. But there's some things that just, after all these years, yeah. have become Miami food, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an it, interesting place. It's kind of like, you know, Chinese food, in the United States and Chinese
0: food in China. Yeah. Okay, because they, they got to come here and kind of feed all kinds of people that don't necessarily want to eat, like, beef tendon and right. rice. <laughs> yeah. You know?
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: it, it, seriously. Yeah. So then there's, there's kind of a, a dulling of the... Yeah. of the cuisine to kind of feed the masses so yeah. i think that's kind
3: of what happened
1: but you guys are so generous by not describing it as dumbing it down
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah but i mean for, it's something in some, for some well, sense mean, it is, it, is. <laughs> it even happens with like paella like yeah. actual paella is like rabbit and snail you know and yeah. then the valencia paella really fancy, fancy valencia, stuff yeah. but when people think of paella if you say we're gonna have paella at my house they're not expecting rabbit and snail no they're chicken. expecting like you know shrimp and like clam and whatever mm-hmm. but every now and then people will try to Pass off. I, I've been subject to this a few times. We're having paella, and it's arroz con pollo. Yeah, Like, yeah, a, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. come on. Like, I know yeah. what this is. Yeah. Uh, but well, it's Marcos is allergic
2: version. to shrimp, so we had to make arroz mm-hmm. con pollo yeah. with chicken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's just it's taking something that is that is is uh, very very precise, and just kind of,
3: I don't know. Gentrifying it, I guess, no, smoothing yeah. it out, yeah, make it giving it a wide appeal, right? Actually, like Ramos and dio is like, they don't serve it every day. You're going to find that no. one day yep. a week in most places, right. because most tor- tourists are going to be turned off by the idea of eating an oxtail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, if you've had it, you know it's good. Oh, once they oh, had yeah, it, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, done. Yeah, there's a Haitian
2: version too, and
3: uh, I think all the
2: islands have it. But mm-hmm. I've had the Haitian version of uh, yeah. of the the tail. It's it's great. It's but that's the
0: thing. Like all through the Caribbean and in uh, Central America, there's a lot of ingredients that are common to all those lands so i mean they're, they're going to have some version of it that's mm-hmm. going to have a couple of differences to it but those things are going to be prevalent in, in most of the areas you know so yeah cuban distinguishing between cuban and uh let's say puerto rican there's you know there's there's some blurry lines there on,
2: on yeah on the food yeah definitely yeah. so what happened afterwards what what happened after labroche
0: well after labroche uh and just to kind of get you know through the whole kitchen process I went and worked for the Four Seasons Hotel and we opened up the the Four Seasons Hotel in Miami which was in late 2001 early 2002 and was there for the opening and was able to sort of develop the menus there with the chef at the time and that believe it or not was the first time I was subject to cooking at at a at a somewhat medium level of, of not execution but of uh, of uh, how would you say it sophistication mm. okay so it's I started at something that was super high super it required you to have a really good understanding of what you're doing and timing and everything so you had to really hone your skills to something that was a little bit more uh, forgiving and but still very very good uh, Marco box was a chef. And he was famous for his risottos. He made amazing risotto, oh, milanesa. Yeah. Oof. Um, but from there, I worked there for about a year and a half. Seems to be like my thing. I work at a place <laughs> for a year and a half. And then um, one of the guys I worked at La Broche with, Albert um, Cabrera, who is, has uh, um, marabou, right now is the restaurant he he's he's uh running in brickle started working at the four seasons as well and he's like look let's go let's go do something you know, let's let's get out of here. Let's, you know, I want to open up like a, a really high-end comida por libra, you know, food supply. <laughs> we can end. do it out of the house or whatever. Food by the pound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I'm like, all right, cool. Just, you know, let me know how that goes because I really wasn't, you know, feeling it at the time. And then and then he got offered a job at the South Miami Diner, which is now Shake, Shake, Shake Shack. Shake Shack? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was an awesome opportunity because that was an. E- I went from like super high end cooking to like Four Seasons, and now I'm working at a diner. So, I'm like, oh shit, I can fry the hell out of a potato now. <laughs> so you know, and then I had to you know we had to hire people at a at a certain pay rate and, and everything, and it, it just changed the whole dynamic of the kitchen for me. And that's when I really started realizing how how consuming the industry is because it's a thankless job especially if you're not the chef because if you're second in command it's your fault Mm. okay the chef will get crap from from the owner but then when that when that's done guess who gets it second in Mm. command and then you can't take that you can take it down the line and yell at your other guys but then they're not going to perform for you so you have to know how to kind of do that Mm. so that worked for a little while same thing that the owners uh the grouper group um a couple cuban guys from miami they uh um I think I'm trying to remember the name of their restaurant that they had in Bayside. I want to say Bongo? No, it wasn't Bongo. But anyway, they had a couple of Cuban restaurants and they wanted to do a high end sort of like buckhead diner.
2: Well there was a Latin America at um at Bayside. Was that the one they had? That was uh, the only one I can think of that was Cuban.
0: Yeah, there was I think it turned in maybe turned into a Latin American, but it was okay. it was theirs beforehand. Alright. But from there like, they just ran out of money and they weren't getting the type of you know uh, numbers that they were looking for. I mean, it's a large property. And then they just, we got in one day and the guy's like, oh, the gas isn't working. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the gas isn't working, huh? <laughs> oh, we're going to get the guys to come in and two hours go by. And, uh, oh, they just can't get the gas. Why don't you go home or whatever? And then I'm like, oh, I know what's going on here. So it was basically like, you know, we're done. So, yeah. You yeah. Uh, it was you know a lot of it had to do with sort of like the execution of the business and at the same time there there wasn't a lot invested there from the buddy of mine uh, albert who was a chef at the time he was there just kind of like transit so then from there we got out of the diner went on to do a couple of private parties and one of the private parties that albert went to was the owners of uh and Y, which
2: was a $50 Fifty million dollar restaurant. By the way, these are restaurants that none of us have ever eaten at. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, this is this is a long not time ago. I'm allowed to hurry It a long
2: time ago, man. This is this oh, is this is. Yeah, I mean, remember that one. Yeah, in in 2000, while, yeah, 2005, yeah. 2006. Was I was there. like, I was into Denny's back then. There, uh, <laughs> there's a pretty nice party beef of beer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not
0: too many people ate there, man, because it didn't like it. It's a year and a half. It's, Moon a, over my hammy
4: How close is that to Casolas? Yeah,
0: but yeah, that place was just insane. I had, I was executive sous chef with Albert and I had probably a hundred purveyors going from wild mushrooms in Oregon to tuna belly in Tokyo oh, to wow. the blue lobsters in, in, in uh, Omer in uh in france the south of france and i had to, had to make sure it was there so i just i got so burned out like so burned out that i was like hallucinating and everything wow so i'm like look hitting those mushrooms yeah i was just having <laughs> eating, eating all the mushrooms that they were they were giving us here try this tell me how you feel yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um and then that was kind of the thing that that did it for me there and from there i was homeless basically for like a year uh living in an apartment sleeping on a on a mattress in the
2: on the floor uh so the chef's life is not really all that glamorous no man it's yeah.
0: glamorous because you're you, you, when you're in there and you're wearing your white jacket and you're wearing the very very clean apron and you're you're not in the trenches and you're getting the attention for all of this grandeur that the restaurant is is showing everybody but You're doing let's say i'm going to piss some people off but like sixty percent of the work the kitchen is doing Mm -hmm. to get to get the place going and all the blame lands there yeah all the blame yeah so it's 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 one of those industries that you you almost have to be extremely lucky the right people the right manager the right owners the right place the right food the right timing the luck Okay, in, in in hitting the right niche as far as what what you're trying to sell. But that was it. That yeah. was it for me.
2: And uh, so that was you were done with the with the restaurant industry at the end. I was done. Yeah. I was yeah.
0: done. I did. I was. I'm not done with with the love for cooking or for for uh, for cuisine and, and and creating things and learning about you know different processes and and different uh, methods and spices and all that stuff. It's it's a, it's a whole world of of exploration i mean it's just something that that's just endless yeah that i've always loved it i've always loved it so i i, I continue to do things like that at home and with friends and stuff like that so it's yeah
1: i have a deep appreciation for this phase of omar's life as a chef because <clears throat> i can often smell when he's in a creative <laughs> mood See, there's across the street from me and it's it's phenomenal um he's got the 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 rotisserie in the yeah. backyard yeah. oh
2: it's just so good. But you're doing it for enjoyment. Yeah, that's that's the for difference. the pleasure of, of right. cooking. Yeah. What about your mom? Did she ever cook professionally or No. never did. No. I mean, she had to cook for four
0: guys. Yeah. you know, for forever. Yeah. So that's I guess that's a profession. Yeah. You know? Definitely, yeah. But uh no, she never was, but that's probably why the reason why she continues to do such a great job at it because yeah. she never really had to work at it. Right. Or do it for work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, so what are some dishes you've cooked lately that you've impressed yourself with, or that you've been worthy of sharing?
0: Oh, well, what I've been really, really getting into, getting into Mexican cuisine uh, lately, and I've been focusing on those ingredients like moles and chiles and and uh, pimienta. So gotas, many complex ingredients yeah. in
2: that in that food. Yeah, it's
0: a really amazing cuisine, and one of the the last things that that I did. Uh, with help from my friend, Gerardo, who's also an amazing chef and he's a Mexican who grew up in Miami. His father was a, uh, um, worked at the consulate, Mexican consulate here in Miami. And it's called uh, Pescado Sarandiado, which is basically, you have a whole fish and you create this almost like a, it's a mayonnaise based sauce. Which is with chiles, um, garlic, mayo, uh, lime, and what you do is you basically have a whole fish that you you sort of <coughs> cover it with this sauce, and then you put it on the grill, and it creates this awesome crust. It's almost like uh, potatoes gratin. You know how it has yeah, that crispy yeah, yeah. part, but yeah. like all over the fish. And you cook it to the point where it's just falling apart, and then you have that with any salsa that you want to make. And salsas in Mexico are just there's a there's thousands of them. Yeah, salsa verde, whatever. You have it with a taco. I love. I'm just like tacos for me now. Is the is the stuff. Nice. That's what I'm really into. But that that came out fantastic.
2: That sounds so. Is it the mayonnaise that kind of holds it all together? Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, it's the egg yeah. and the mayonnaise. Yeah. See, I can't cook like that. <laughs> There's no way I can cook that. I'll, I'll try it. It'll come out horrible.
0: Well, you know what I do is I always tell I always tell um, you know people that are wanting to get into it or learn more is I said you can't you can't go in guns blazing thinking you're going to make this yeah. really complicated dish. Pick something that has a particular process and do that 20 times do that 100 times yeah Mm -hmm. because then that's solidified and then you can take avenues away from that and do and do something else with it right so what you got to do is you got to get those those basics solidified and then that opens up the door for everything else man
2: yeah yeah Hmm. I heard I heard I heard th- uh, about the beef cheeks. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what, what, yeah those were a, pretty good too. The, that was yeah, really good. Yeah, those guys I,
3: I ate before I got here. I'm sorry about that. What are you referring to No, yeah. no.
2: Just, <laughs> oh, actual beef cheeks. Oh, yeah, okay. cow cheeks, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one too and I,
0: I actually I, I I sort of Took that recipe it, from somebody that i saw on, on you
1: you smoked those and then you sous vide put them in the sous vide yeah. with in, in beef tallow right right
0: in a wagyu oh beef my tallow gosh one yeah that was it's it's really it's really one of the most like unctuous things you can eat as far as beef goes yeah because it's got a lot of connective tissue and it just turns into like this jello jelly
1: so i'm not a dessert guy i'm not a sweets guy i'm Mm. a savory guy Mm. and so you know my mom always like you know a decadent dessert and my wife you know similarly you know uh appreciates the sweets and for me, when I was eating that beef cheek, I was like, oh, I get it when they say, like, this is so rich yeah. and decadent. Well, like, all yeah, of man. those words people use to describe, like, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a death by chocolate or something. Right, like, right. no, no. It death by stays. Beef cheek.
2: It yeah. stays on your tongue for a long <laughs> so time. Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Death by yeah. bovine. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> I think I, I've had that experience a few times. We all have. Where you bite into something and you're expecting like you know what you're supposed to be tasting but then it hits you and you're like oh my goodness that's yeah. actually beyond what you're you are taken
0: back it'll it'll literally make you make you yeah. sit back in your chair I, when you I had
3: a roommate when I when I lived in North Carolina I had a roommate from Texas and he was like hey let me make you make you some brisket sometime I'm like I've had brisket all right whatever and he made it like he stayed up all night mm-hmm. you know that kind of like replacing mm-hmm. the coals like mm-hmm. and you know, we had it out on the table. It was like, all right, you know, give me a piece. I bite into it. I'm like, it's, is that what brisket is? Yeah, Have I not exactly. been eating brisket this whole time? That's a real thing. Yep. So, yeah, every now and then you bite into something that you realize you, you've been lied to your whole life. Like, yep. this is actually what flavor is. Yeah,
2: I can't. I've tried making brisket. I, I still, it, it always just tastes blah. It's, it's it's never right.
1: I've had a smoker for probably four years now, and I'm still afraid of doing a brisket. Like Yeah. I've done, I've done a lot of pork cuts but brisket just i just i it's not that i don't think i'll I'll cook it decently but it's that i've had brisket like what you're describing it's like i just i just don't want to disappoint myself i think (laughs) (laughs) although i guess the downside is i've had i'd have a whole lot of smoked meat like maybe i should rethink this well (laughs) think
0: about it though it's brisket is a huge cut of beef so you the investment you have to do to make that is that you're you're committing to having 10 pounds of beef like mm-hmm. if you can do a whole brisket you can cut it down but that goes back to kind of what i was saying is that if you do that fail 10 times get it right five and then you finally got it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean you talk about these guys from like uh, franklin barbecue mm-hmm. Yeah, man. His, it, all he does is regulate temperature and put salt and pepper and mustard on his
2: mm-hmm. barbecue and it comes out that's it that's it it's amazing. That's it. I mean, it's I haven't. I've never had it, but I've seen it. I actually saw him yesterday pull out a brisket on some YouTube thing.ers yeah. I was like,
3: "Oh my! my mouth just started yeah. watering." Yeah. my yeah. It's I can't incredible. have that. I mean, yeah. I've never had that before. Uh, not, not to, to detour from the main topic, but because I've, I've lived a few places. I've gotten to taste cuisine in different places. Come back to you know, I, li- I my home is Miami, mm-hmm. and every I, I'll say I won't out them, but I went to. What was a very popular barbecue place in Coral Gables a few years ago, somebody's like, oh, you have to try this pulled pork. You know, it's amazing, whatever. And I had it, and I was like, this is actually not good. Mm-hmm. But like, nobody here has been to South Carolina or North Carolina. They don't know right, what pulled right. pork is, whatever. It was good so, for Coral Gables. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people kind of – and that's the problem of Yelp is a lot of yes, – just pooled ignorance. You know, mm-hmm. people don't know what it's supposed to taste. Right. <laughs> in your opinion – Pooled <laughs> ignorance is good. What, what, what would be – a food or a style that actually hasn't taken hold in Miami like people in Miami actually haven't had a good version of this
0: a good version of a cuisine they haven't had in Miami there are a few Korean barbecue places but none that are fantastic Hmm. I've had a couple you know places where I've gone to and I'm like okay it's almost there but when you go to when you go to cities like New York and you have Korean barbecue or, or even dim sum, the only place like think about it, dim sum, the only real dim sum place you can go to is Tropical Chinese here. There's
1: yeah. some place on Bird Road. Yeah, yeah. Bird yeah. Road,
0: across yeah. from Tropical Park. And that dim sum is is it's not even good. <laughs> but it, but it's it's the only place you can get like real cart service dim sum and all of that. So that's another one that Miami has really no idea.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there's like very few places for that kind of asian cuisine and the, the likelihood that it would be uh, there would be an amazing asian place very very few it's very yeah unlikely. but
0: korean barbecue definitely if, if somebody really wanted to to really really tighten up and make a great place yeah. they could and and it's so good that 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 food is great yeah yeah
1: okay so i i alluded to it earlier but my experience where i had that i took a bite and it was like that ratatouille moment where it was just uh-huh. like mind-blowing right i think it was at the place that you alluded to just now in coral gables yeah. now now closed uh, a barbecue joint but it was it was chicken and noodles or chicken and dumplings okay. and so it was like as a, a okay. southern comfort place yeah. you were talking about yeah about, right? yeah yeah Uh-oh. so uh, I, but, but a, but a I was one of the people that, that that's <laughs> fine i was one of the people that probably told you how good it was because of this experience mm-hmm. but um growing up my grandmother uh my grandma asbury my mom's mom she was like my aspirational chef right like mm-hmm. Um, I think I just told this story to you this weekend, actually, but um, I didn't realize she was battling dementia until one time I was at her house, and I asked her to make me blueberry pancakes, and I got, like, a real stern talking to from my aunt, and that was when she was just like, Mark, she's not going to be making those, like, real sternly, and I was just like, I had no idea, and and that's when someone kind of pulled me aside, you know grandma's not well, right? I was like, no, I didn't know that. Excuse (laughs) me for being a kid, you know? I was like, I just wanted her awesome blueberry pancakes. <laughs> but
0: um, You know that after that conversation, I literally w- I wanted to go get blueberry pancakes the next day. I'm
1: still dying to make some. I haven't called my aunt yet to have that conversation yet. But, um, we, um I, so I was at that restaurant, and this was another dish that Grandma would make. Was It was just kind of like the default thing. That, like, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they were never in my recollection, like, we didn't see them that often. We lived, you know, across the state from them. Mm-hmm. And so... It, it, my memory is that we would get there, and if it wasn't Thanksgiving or Christmas, if it was just a normal, you know, like a weekend we were hanging out with them, um, she would almost always have chicken and noodles on on the stove. And I think she must have handmade her noodles because they weren't like any noodle I've ever bought. They were like a really thick, like doughy, you know, it was like almost a dumpling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was just like a, a delicious, creamy base with just fantastic chicken and carrots and potatoes probably and, and noodles.
0: Like a chicken pot pile. Yeah, exactly. Exactly,
1: and so I ordered, you know, whatever that restaurant had that was like that, and I took a bite, and I was like, I could have been sitting at my grandma's orange countertop with her brown carpeted kitchen, and just (laughs) she made it in this weird diamond pot, like her pots were all Mm. like you know old school, and it was just like I was I was there, I was a kid at her kitchen counter again, and Mm. it it blew my mind, like I I would have left them a ten star on a five star scale review for that (laughs) (laughs) experience.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think I think one of the things that I've noticed uh, about uh, so let me ask you this question, Omar: Is there? And uh, you don't have to name names, but I have a hard time. Uh, we go to we go to Cuban restaurants on occasion. You know, mm-hmm. my family. We we'll go and, and and to give them kudos. We'll we'll, we'll go to um, what's that one on South Miami? Uh, oh man, name escapes me now. Uh, Casa Larios. Casa Cuba. Okay. It used to be Casa, Lari, it's Casa it's Cuba Cuba now it's Casa Cuba. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll go to Casa Cuba, and, and it's decent, it's decent Cuban food. Um, but d- d- it's it's always hard, and I, and I, ha- I talked to a lot of friends of mine and they feel the same way. It's like it's hard to find good Cuban food because you want to eat what you made at home, you know, or what was made for you at home. <laughs> like like in your case with your, your grandma, you know, it's, it's not the same, you know. Um, it, has that been your experience as well? And I'm, I'm leading into something else, but wh- what do you think about that, with Cuban food in particular?
0: I rarely ever found a place that I would want to go to on a regular basis, like Miami-style, like Cuban food. Especially since my grandma was so good at it. You know, yeah. it was... It was this muted version of everything that I was given when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So, there are very few places that I would say, let's go there, you know, because I really want to go there. A lot of the times I'd go to Cuban restaurants just to have lunch, <clears throat> like as a function of, yeah. of right. nutrition or getting my lunch. Uh, nothing stellar, you know. Uh, there's there's, three places that I can tell you right now that I, if you want to go there, I'll say, yeah, let's go. And there, nobody really knows about them. There's A place off of, uh, I believe it's 17th Avenue, uh, just outside the roads. It's called La Caridad, okay? It's a supermarket with a bar, you know, pull up to the bar with the stationary stools and four old ladies in the back frying and cooking everything out of the same aluminum, you know, pots. Not the place that you would go to and think, oh, well, you know, they're they're really watching, you know, their temperatures and all this stuff. <laughs> but let me tell you, the, the specials for those days, fantastic, man. Mm. I mean, just everything that you want from a pollo frito from your grandma, okay? Fall off the bone, crispy on the outside, and mojito all the way through. The carne con papa with the caramelized potatoes. Mm. like the, the, They're not even white. Mm. They're brown all the yes. way to the inside. Okay, that kind of thing. You don't get anywhere like i said you get that dumbed down soda version of the of the recipe the other one that i used to go to all the time and every now and then i still go there just to go all the way out there to go get food is a place called latina Hita, which is by tamiami airport 136 and 140th a little tiny place but the guy has been the cook there, he's the owner cook, and he's there every day, and he's whenever I go there, he's always there cooking it, and every time I go there, the food is fantastic and cheap.
2: What does he make that you like?
0: The fa- My favorite thing that he makes that I like is a fricasse de pollo. Mm.
2: Really? Yeah. I hated that dish when I was growing uh, up. <laughs> so I that. Oh, Describe that, that made sure yeah, I didn't like it. it. It's that
0: chicken fricassee. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's basically, it's a tomato um sofrito based uh sauce that you you cook the chicken down into it's almost like you're doing a, a a stew of chicken and inside of it is uh olives potatoes things like that very 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 simple heavily seasoned you know where you can take that sauce and put it in your rice it turns your whole all your rice yellow yeah, or red from the from the sauce. That, that
3: that's my bread and butter dish. Yeah, that's how I got my wife to marry me. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, man. If you can do <clears throat> fricasse de pollo, like a G,
0: <laughs> there's nobody that that will that, doubt the fact that you can cook. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because it's very easy to boil chicken and add, and do sofrito, and then make a pot of white rice. Because that's what you get out there. You're asking yeah. me about what? Yeah. What do you get? You get this this this. Uh, Washed down version of it. Yeah, yeah, a tourist version. Yeah, yeah. The yuca's hard. You know, you go to these these places. I'm telling you about the yuca's tender. I mean, oh. it's done right. The the mojo that they put on it is
3: actually uh, naranja agriga well, Squeeze
0: that day. I want you, I
3: want you to get to the third place, but I'll tell you, I've had such radically different versions at Ropa Vieja. Mm-hmm. In in my life, that mm-hmm. they're completely different dishes. Yeah, one is I can tell this person stewed this beef in a Dutch oven for hours. Mm-hmm. The other one is this person boiled flank steak and then threw a sauce over it. Yeah, and, and then just kind of like basically threw tomato sauce over it and they gave me some white rice. Like I don't want to eat that. Yeah, and but they're such radically different dishes. But a tourist wouldn't know that they're getting the Chef Boyardee version, whatever. Because you know what another thing that happens is is that you have companies like Cisco.
0: Okay, and all of these food purveyors that will literally give you a giant tub of sofrito, okay, and a giant tub of black food coloring for your black beans. Hmm. I've heard and of then, this recently the then, black food coloring, yeah. okay? Hmm.
2: That's a real thing. I didn't and know it existed. You can go
0: from one place to another on Bird Road or on A Street and you'll have their picadillo, and it's literally the same thing mm-hmm. everywhere you go. Hmm. Yeah. Because none of it is done. The right way from the from the ingredients. Yeah, and a lot of the reasons why these places that I'm telling you about can actually do it is because they're not serving 300 people; they're serving 50 people. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and when they're done, when they're when they're out, they're out,
3: and oh. you're, you're SOL. And some of the some of those things are like uh, so much of good comfort food, you know, Cuban cooking. It's possible because there were people who spent literally all day doing this. Right. Like, making tamales is hard. Yeah. Like, that takes time. It's Mm labor-intensive. And once you try to scale it, it's like you're going to drop quality immediately. It's the kind of thing, like, some stuff will only taste good if it's, like, somebody putting work into it all day for it to taste this way. Yeah. Okay, Okay,
2: so let me ask you a question. Picadillo, which is uh, Cuban beef hash, basically. Yeah. So, picadillo, raisins or no raisins? I don't mind raisins. Oh I hate raisins and picadillo. <laughs> well, I think I
0: think I think I understand why. I think I understand why. Because growing up eating picadillo before I realized that I can eat it with bananas. Like a right. like a regular banana. Yeah, yeah. Always had that a banana on the side. That was plate. a little sweet. This to the picadillo that I mm. liked in contrast to the salty, sort of savory flavor. Yeah, yeah. But when you put them in there too early, they turn into what these these giant things that look like cockroaches in your. That's right. <laughs> yep. Like that beetle on the table. Yeah, they the look like that. Go. So yeah. as a kid, you're like, f that. I'm not eating that shit. Well, so my, my, a lot of people have got an aversion to it now because this, <laughs> they look like cockroaches in your shit.
3: My, I, I hated, I don't like picadillo. And it's been my mom's version of it. She. She didn't. She's a great cook, but she was not a good mincer.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So her garlic, her oh, garlic chunks. chunks of uh, garlic. Yeah. So it was basically just no, like no. looking for bombs. Like I yeah. was like, oh my goodness, that's way too yeah, much. Yeah, so yeah. I think I was scared of it. I don't want to put that in my mouth. <laughs> I sh-
1: I want to give Omar kudos because I've, I've had this experience in two different. Disciplines of things I really enjoy. I really enjoy to cook, and I really enjoy playing golf. And not unlike when I went to the golf lesson and the golf pro used my clubs, and I was just like, "What? <laughs> they can do that?" Yeah. Uh, one one time, Omar was in my kitchen, and uh, I was I was stumbling through chopping an onion, and he was like, "Hey, here, let me show you," and it was just like, "What? My knife works that way?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and so I think I think that's a that's a thing that not unlike you know the, the thing i should do to get good at golf is not to keep trying to play it's to go get more lessons mm-hmm. i should try chopping an onion a day or something until mm-hmm. i kind of get it yeah. um i'm not doing that i'm just stumbling through thankfully not cutting my fingers off but well i mean i c- yeah
0: my hands i got quite a few mess ups on my hands
3: <laughs> can, can, can i share a story sure i'm gonna share go a story so i i lived in north carolina for about a year and a half and um When I was there, I felt like I was, like, the ambassador for Cuban cuisine to, like, all these, you know, white people, basically. (laughs) Um, And and there was a couple of restaurants. There was, like, two or three Cuban places in in that area, Raleigh-Durham area. One was there was no legit... Straight. I, there was one place that might have been a legislative place, but it was just way too far away for me to, to check it out. One place was kind of like a fusion Cuban sandwich place. They were trying to do pulled pork, but in Cuban sandwiches, mm. and it worked. Yeah. I tried it. I was like, this works, actually. But then, like, I had some sides, and I'm like, this is frozen Goya stuff. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't make yeah. these mm-hmm. maduros, so they, they didn't make these beans, whatever. Um, and then there was another place that I would not walk into because... I looked at the menu online, and they had, um, you know, che nachos, Castro quesadilla. I'm like, no actual Cuban works in this restaurant. This is not. That was, like, offensive on multiple levels. (laughs) Um, No grasp of history. It's called the No
1: no True Cuban
3: Yeah. (laughs) No, I think it was called, like, like La Revolución, kind of, like, grill, whatever. I'm like, no, no, no real Cuban is in there. But. I was like, all right, I'm gonna. I, I bought a couple of cookbooks. I, had, I brought them from, you know, I lived in St. Louis for a few years. I had to, like, kind of fend for myself and learn how to cook there. And I had a recipe for croquetas. And uh, a friend of mine was getting her, her PhD. She was gonna defend whatever. I'm like, hey, we're going throw a party for you. I'm gonna make yuca frita, which I've done all the time. And uh, I'm gonna make some croquetas to have the kind of finger food. I had never made croquetas. And I'm mm. like, you know, it's... Okay, I guess... I know I gotta, like... I gotta grind some ham. I gotta make the little, um... Oh, I forgot what it's called. The... bechamel. The bechamel. And breading and all that. Seems simple enough. So, Not I right. had... I had a hand blender that I used for basically making my beans thicker. You know, I'd never use it for anything else, basically. And I'm like, alright, I need this. but I got this? Because I couldn't buy minced ham anywhere. I had mm-hmm. to do it myself. So, I, I get a bunch of chunks of ham. And i'm making everything i'm like all right time to to grind this ham down into like a paste and i was overheating it like this hand blender was not made for that Mm -hmm. so it gets stuck like oh crap (laughs) so like an idiot i put my finger up into where the where like the blade is to get out all the ham that's stuck in there oh man and for whatever reason my other hand, who had like, you know had a contract out on my right hand, whatever, <laughs> presses the button, and just it goes, and it felt like an electric truck. I was like. Shh. And I just like I throw everything down. I'm like, what the heck did I just do? Do I look at it? Yeah. I looked at it. It it looked like shredded paper. Yeah. Like the tip of my middle finger was like it was like there's no way you can stitch that kind of stuff. Like it was just like like pulpy mess, bleeding like crazy. But you made the croquetas anyway. But I made the croquetas anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I wrapped it in paper towels. I put it above my head, and I was like, I gotta make I gotta mix the bechamel sauce with this. I gotta you know roll them up. This is soiled green. I'm gonna put them in the fridge. (laughs) I'm gonna put him in the fridge. I'm gonna go to the really urgent care. Iron, iron. So I, I go to the urgent care, and and the guy looks at it and he's like what did you do and I'm like don't ask whatever You know, it's, uh, can you do anything oh uh, like, yes this is called
0: croqueta finger, this is called croqueta finger.
3: <laughs> are you familiar with Cuban Cuisine yeah. so he just put some like tape on it you know is like hey we're gonna hope for the best tape it up it'll heal on it's own it's not something you can stitch Yeah. and I go back to to my house with the tape all over my hand and I'm like alright I gotta deep fry these things now so I'm, like, I'm not gonna stop the show so this giant wad of stuff over my finger <laughs> Basically kind of doing hey things like a Muppet, you know, like trying to like use like fake hands to put this together. Yeah. And uh, and I got it done. And people were complimenting me on the croquettes. And, and what I didn't tell them, and I hope nobody's listening, is like, I'm pretty sure I got a little bit of blood in that mix. yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, there's some blood. There's a little bit of me in those croquettes. There's croquetas. something in there. There's, there's something special ingredients. Ingredient, yeah. yeah, man.
0: Croquettes are one of those things that you could fail real,
2: real bad, real fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I have a whole theme on Croquetas, but I don't know if we should keep it for another episode. We probably should. We'll do do a part two. I I
1: think we're going to have to. Croquetas is a whole
2: other... Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I would like to ask real quickly. We've we've talked about this on this podcast before. Um, So you mentioned a couple of your favorite Cuban restaurants, but... Is there a go to for croquetas because I think that you know some places are right and some places are wrong. Is that place still open?
2: I think so many those are wrong. Those
3: croquetas were like a
2: Yeah, it's still open, but I have okay. not I've have done have not been there. Okay. We we talked about having them on the on the show, but we haven't done it yet, so. But I I uh, nobody had those those croquet those croquetas. I have coquetas? not had those. Yeah.
1: For for me, uh Isla,
2: Isla Canaria uh, is the one. So freaking good, the yep. chicken ones. Yeah? The chicken ones.
1: My
0: favorite, the chicken ones. Oh, from there. Yeah. Yeah. Versailles as well, because Versailles makes, still make their croquetas. Yeah. Mm. And their chicken croqueta Versailles is fantastic, and so is la Canaria. But if I had to choose, la Canaria would be it. Yeah, mm.
2: man. Yeah. My grandmother's chicken croquetas were unbelievable. Yeah. I don't. I
1: don't think it. I've ever had croquetas that were not
3: jamon. Like. Oh. You gotta yeah. go. I think if you bacalao and mm. chicken.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, I'll go to the, the croqueta thing. So in Cuba, I had, uh, I, I went to a, a restaurant with a friend of mine um, who's from there. And, and, you know, we would take out the nationals, as we called them, to, to go eat because they didn't really have the opportunity to go to the restaurants there. So we went to a, a Chinese restaurant. I forgot the name of it. But it's in the old Chinatown. A Chino, I guess, yeah, yeah. and a Chino Chang or whatever, <laughs> um, and we we went to this place and and it, they had everything but Chinese food. It was like Chinese foodish type of stuff. So they had like a lot of uh, fried rice and stuff like that, which is easy to make. But they had croquetas, so they they served us. Um, we ordered fish croquetas, and and I I they bring it. It looked like a croqueta, and I ate. I bit it, and I was like, tastes like fish. <laughs> <laughs> And, and nailed it. Yeah, nailed it. and I'm going. Oh, and then my friend Tony, who's a great guy. He's a he's a chef over there. He hasn't cooked in that restaurant, but he's he's a chef uh, from the special period. He was trained after the special period to be a chef, mm-hmm. and he that's another story for another episode. But he said, "Oh, yes, it's um, it, it's." I go, "How do you make these here?" And he says, "Oh, we take uh, fish water and the bechamel." and we blend it and and I said yeah and what about the fish he goes no 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 fish water (laughs) yeah Yeah. and I said wow it's great man it's awesome yeah (laughs) So there's no actual protein mm-hmm. in it. And the then yeah. he went to tell me the whole story about <laughs> Cuban food in Cuba, and that was shocking to me. And uh, That's for another episode, though. Mm-hmm. That's, that's almost that's,
3: like the yeah. Lacroix of croquetas. That's right. Like,
2: yeah. <laughs> no actual ingredient, just like the essence the of essence. The Sparkling fish croquetas. <laughs> <Sparkling. Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how much time are we in already? We,
1: I, we can wrap up. We've been more than an hour and ten minutes now.
2: Okay, so we'll have to do, like, part two wait, and three wait. of Omar's story. Oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> what, was, what was the I third place? You
3: didn't say the third place. Place. I heard the place... Uh, uh, Tami Airport. Tamier Airport. Yeah, the yeah place Tinajita, Coral Way
0: area. The La Caridad, which La is Carida. a supermarket. Okay. Uh, which is the the old ladies there are the best. And then there's Yoyitos. Ese. Yoyitos.
3: <laughs> Where's that? That's the one I was going to say. On 8th Street. Yeah.
0: He has a couple of them, but where I used to go there and talking about Rago Encendido. That's one of the best I was yeah. in the Deals. Really? That well,
3: is 8th like and what? 8th and 82nd. 82nd. 82nd, yeah. Okay. That's where my, my, my dad would take us there. Yeah. And they always had the actual cute, like the favada, like they had caloriego, right. like actual soups there. And
0: the, the guy, Yoyito, dresses all in white. Yeah. And he's about 400 pounds, so I love that guy. Mm. You know he's going to make something you can good. Can always trust the fashion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: He's like that guy from New Orleans with Chef Perdue, or what was his name? I forgot Perdue, what his name is. Paul was. Perdome. Paul Perdome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chef Perdue. He's, he's sing-
0: chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Chef Perdue chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Perdome. Sorry, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> Chef Paul.
0: He's 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 almost single-handedly responsible for. The, the very, very close extinction of redfish. No way! His yeah. blackened redfish <laughs> was so popular. Uh, uh, recipe was so popular that everywhere in Louisiana and the rest of the United States picked up this whole thing about having blackened redfish. And everybody was serving it, and they almost wiped out the species.
2: Are you kidding me? No. Nope. That's insane. You know why I, I, I'm i surprised at that? Because I remember one day, I w- there's a place down here uh, in, in Palmetto Bay called uh, Deering Estate. And it's an old, uh, an old home that's 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 now a museum, and you can go visit it and go to the grounds. And it's on the water, it's mm-hmm. on the bay. Beautiful view, it's it's amazing. It's gorgeous. And and uh, uh, was it Charles Deering? Charles Deering had a like his own little uh, marina, like his own little he had a lagoon in the a back. a lagoon table. in the back, yeah. Mm-hmm. And one day I go back there, and there's this guy just staring at the water. And he's just staring at it. I think he's looking at manatees, but he, he looks like a local. So I'm like, what are you surprised? It's, we see manatees all the time. And I walk up, and I see these massive fish. And he goes, dude, do you know what those are? And I go, no. what? I didn't know what a redfish was. He goes, those are redfish. I haven't seen these. And he was an old, like he'd been living here his old yep. life like me, but he's an actual fisherman. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And he says, he goes, dude, I haven't seen those in like 30 years. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and apparently, they've made a comeback. Yeah. There was a moratorium. Yeah. you couldn't you couldn't take them.
0: You couldn't harvest them for years. I had no idea, yeah. Paul wow. yeah. Well,
1: it's a good segue. Omar has a boat, and so it sounds like our next time we record should be on the boat.
2: Oh, yeah, go fish, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We'll do a fishing episode. <laughs> this is the
0: right number of people on my little boat. It'll work just fine. Perfect. We'll go, you know, catch some snapper, throw them on the magma grill, and that'll go.
2: The magma grill. <laughs> nice. <Mac-ma. laughs> Liquid <With heart>. Magma. Liquid <laughs> magma. Magma. <laughs> All right, Mark, wrap it up.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, no, I, this is... So so great i know i know thank you so much for being with us tonight this is just phenomenal i'm hungry now um, yeah. <laughs> but we we didn't even get to or really talk much about,
2: I hey, about, about about omar's time in the cia which we're going to do in the next episode <laughs> yeah. some of the navy seals quantico you guys we, we thought food quantico. was more important yeah. <laughs> than the jfk assassination <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: We'll have to we'll have to have you back because it's just phenomenal. But thank you so much yeah, for man. being with us and 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 regaling us tonight with and making us no, all no, my
0: pleasure, man. I never you know I really the only time I really get to tell this or talk about this is is with family or my kids now. So it's uh, I really appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to kind of you know memorialize uh, my life and you know in this way. So thank you very much. I appreciate awesome, it. Awesome, man. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah.